Hello everyone, my name is Rhys Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 143 on Cameroon. The capital is Yaoundé. The name comes from Portuguese sailors, who say they saw a lot of ghost shrimp in the water, so they named the region Rio dos Camaros, or River of Prawns. The name was adapted to Cameroon after different people ruled and things of the sort. Some other facts are that there are around 300 ethnic groups in the nation. The 10 regions of Cameroon are divided based on cultural and religious lines rather than anything else so that the people there get along and there is a more united front when it comes to culture than anything else. Currently, it has the largest economy in Central Africa due to heavy gold, oil, and lumber exports. And Mount Cameroon is a 13,000-foot or 4,000-meter volcano. Cameroon is also one of the wettest nations on Earth because of extremely high rainfall each year. The average rainfall of the world is around 39 inches, and Cameroon gets between a national average of 80 and 100 inches. Cameroon is also a young nation because over 60% of the population is under 25 years old. Cameroon also became the first African nation to make it to the quarterfinals of the World Cup back in 1990. And this nation is also home to the Goliath Frog, which is the largest frog in the world, which weighs in at the average of 10 pounds. Cameroon is also frequently called Miniature Africa because of its diverse landscape and cultural diversity that represents the greater part of the continent, and we're going to see with the really early parts of the history that this area is the basis for a lot of other African cultures. So I don't want to say anything I don't have to about this country right now because we're going to get into the history and unveil a whole lot of different things about it, so I don't want to say anything I don't have to now because I just want to explain it in detail and then a lot of fun as we get through this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to enjoy this. There's some things I'm going to mention towards the end that I'm super excited to talk about and I'm excited you guys are here. So thank you so much. And one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History and this is Cameroon. Hope you guys enjoy and let's do this thing. Our origins begin with the Bantu people, who may have emerged here before anywhere else around 1500 BC. It would be from here that the Great Bantu Migration would occur, which created almost all the major people groups across Central and Southern Africa. Now, the Bantu are a very unique people, and we're going to go through a couple of different cultures that they break into, and some of the peoples that have eventually influenced this nation's history, and then maybe even influenced other nations' history. Sao culture emerged around the 500s CE. These people lived near the Chari River, which trails the central and northern part of Cameroon. The Sao people were engaged heavily in agriculture, where they cultivated crops such as millet, sorghum, and legumes. Fishing was also an important part of their economic activity and culture, because given their proximity to Lake Chad, this was one of the best ways to make money and survive. Archaeological sites have yielded a variety of cultural artifacts, including pottery, sculptures, and terracotta figures. They were also specifically known for their kind of pottery, which was dug up by archaeologists and can now be placed into its own culture. The Bamileke are the largest ethnic group in Cameroon today, and they make up about one-fourth of the nation. They founded their own kingdom in the region, which had a fawn or monarch at the top. Different levels of society wore masks that represented said class. The fawn leader wore the elephant mask to represent the peak of Bamileke strength. Men traditionally offered gifts to the father of the woman they seek to marry to get a blessing to marry her. Fathers claimed the right to children of his bride and his own, which would then be absorbed culturally as his own children. The Bamileke also have a strong warrior history, which helped unite regions of Cameroon under one culture. 
In turn, this caused more people to adhere to an early Cameroon culture as it developed. One of the unique practices they used to do is the preservation of skulls. Ancestor skulls were traditionally kept and preserved, so the soul of an ancestor would have a place to rest, and communication with said ancestor would be much easier. The Douala people are found in the coastal areas near the city of Douala. They historically engaged in trade. The Douala played a significant role in the economic development of the region because they pushed this idea that trade should be a greater part of the culture. We also have the Bornu Empire, which was established when Muslim Central Africans took control of the people in the region. They took part to the coast, which was occupied by the Kotoko people, which are an ancient people group that have been here for thousands of years that we don't know much about culturally, but they came up around the same time as the Sao culture. The Bornu Empire, which took them over, was founded around the 800s in the region near Lake Chad. Over time, it expanded its influence into many areas, including northeastern Nigeria, parts of Chad, Niger, and of course, northern Cameroon. The land would be controlled by different powers, and culture would develop as did agriculture. Different technologies for farming and war were developed as the people here moved through the Iron Age and other subsequent eras, and that rolls into the 1400s when Portuguese sailors arrived. These sailors were moving through the Wari River to explore the region, and here is where they saw those ghost shrimp that they named the region after, Rios dos Camaros, or River of Prawns. Despite their incursions, the massive presence of malaria found in this river and anywhere around it, caused them to leave the land and feel that it was not worth it to explore. But nonetheless, the discovery of people here and the few interactions the Portuguese had with the peoples, such as the Bemeleke, led them to start the Atlantic slave trade here, among other parts in West Africa. So for a long time, the only reason anyone from the outside world was contacting the early Cameroonians was for the sake of trade and mostly to kidnap them away and sell them into the Atlantic slave trade. A few centuries later, Islam came to influence the north around 1801 when the Fulani people from the Sahel region, which is Chad, Burkina Faso, Niger, and Mali, that whole region, ended up coming into northern Cameroon. Eventually, the Muslim Fulani people of the north launched a jihad against the south because they felt that was the best way to spread Islamic law and ideals. The Fulani Jihad in Cameroon refers to a series of military campaigns and socio-political movements led by Fulani Muslim leaders with the aim of spreading Islam and establishing a true Islamic state. One of the most prominent Fulani leaders associated with the Fulani Jihad was Usman Dan Forio. He played a central role in the establishment of the Sokoto Caliphate in what is now Nigeria. The Sokoto Caliphate became a powerful Islamic state that extended its influence into neighboring regions and heavily affected northern Cameroon. As a result of the Fulani Jihad, Islamic states, which were led by Fulani rulers, known as Lamedos, were established in various parts of northern Cameroon. These Lamedoites, which is the name of what Lamedos ruled over, incorporated Islamic law and governance structures into Cameroonian culture. This influence is still felt today because Islam has a minority population in northern Cameroon. This led to the creation of the Andamawa Emirate. It lasted from 1809 to 1903. Modibo Adama, a Fulani leader and military commander, played a key role in the establishment of the Adamawa Emirate. He was associated with the Sokoto Caliphate and participated in the Fulani Jihad, led by Usman Dan Fodio. Despite the greater establishment of this Fulani Adamawa Emirate, there was many resistances that occurred from local communities and rulers. This was also very heavily a religious resistance that these people put up because they did not believe that the teachings of Islam were valid. They were more connected to their animist or other spiritual beliefs, not that of Islam. Also in the 1800s was the beginning of German rule in Cameroon. It started in 1884 when Germans bombarded the Cameroon coast. After this, German explorers such as Gustav Nachigal 
played a role in establishing German influence in Cameroon. Natchegal signed treaties with the local rulers to establish German protection over certain areas. The Berlin Conference of 1884 to 1885 formalized German control over Cameroon. It did the same thing for all the other disgusting racist European states that were at this Berlin Conference, and I'm not one to try and break history, but this has been many times in a row of me recording an African country and seeing the way these European cockroaches of the colonial time decided to treat other people. I'm just at a point where I'm kind of sick of being neutral. I'm just going to say what I think. You guys heard that when I ranted about Madagascar. I'm going to say it again today. It's just typical French or German or British cockroaches that have never seen the real world and are pale as fucking snow and have never done anything with their life. So now they spread to Africa. They spread their stupid ass religion. They spread all the things they believe in their culture and all the cockroach shit they have to do with them. So just another typical colonial expansion and it's just one that particularly pisses me off. I'm sick of hearing it. I'd like to do a country that wasn't ran over by these European cockroaches. After official German rule was established, many missionaries moved into the land because they felt it was safer now. The arrival of the Presbyterian missionaries in Cameroon, specifically the Basel Mission, began its work. The Basel Mission established schools, healthcare facilities, and churches, which contributed to the spread of Christianity and Western education. Catholic missionaries, including the Holy Ghost Fathers and the Palatine Fathers, were more active in Cameroon. They had a similar influence to the other missionaries by spreading Western education, as well as some Western influences like medicine and other technological advancements. The Germans aimed to exploit Cameroon's natural resources, including rubber, ivory, and timber. Plantations were established, and forced labor was often employed to extract said resources. Germans invested in infrastructure projects, including railway and railroads. This was mainly to facilitate the extraction of resources and transportation to the coast. The infrastructure developments had economic benefits for mainly the colonial administration. So the legacy of German rule is that there was heavy negatives that came with the few upsides. Of course, there was railroads built, but the expansion of forced labor, exploitation, and harsh treatment of different early Cameroonians led us to look back on this as the way we look back on most colonial rules, which is a bunch of racism and a bunch of abuse and a bunch of economic hardship for the people that are left after these powers leave. In short, World War I saw the defeat of Germany, and Cameroon was partitioned between Britain and France. British rule advanced agriculture with a heavy focus on bananas, cocoa, and coffee. This was specifically popular in the British region because this is that, because if you look at a map of Cameroon, the part that was controlled by the English was in the northwestern and southwestern parts. So this is why things like this were grown. Britain also split their Cameroonian territory into a northern and southern part. The British favored the northern territory very heavily. The south were underrepresented and wanted their own status because the north was starting to have its culture and politics merge with Nigeria, which was also under Britain. Southern politicians founded the Cameroon Nation Congress to work towards their own independence because they felt this was necessary to be on equal footing with the North. The Congress worked to unite the North with Greater Nigeria because they spoke English and they felt they would not make a proper territory with the French majority in French Cameroon. Speaking of such, in the French part, France expanded the education, healthcare, and infrastructure of the nation. But French culture was made the norm, cultural assimilation was common, and the French language, cuisine, and system was the new status quo. In retaliation to this, the Union of the Peoples of Cameroon, or UPC, was a political party that emerged with the hope of getting independence for all of Cameroon, both the English and French-speaking parts. The UPC was founded in 1948 by Ruben Umniobi. The UPC sought to unite the diverse ethnic groups in Cameroon and advocated for the independence from both French and British colonial rule. The party's demands for social justice, political representation, and economic equality were met with severe resistance from the colonial authorities. 
The French administration, led by Governor André-Marie Madiba, a dickhead, attempted to suppress the UPC using arrests and repression. The conflict escalated into an armed struggle when the UPC leadership, including Ruben Umniobi, decided to take up arms against France, and this marked the beginning of a protracted conflict. The conflict led to widespread atrocities, with villages being targets and civilians suffering the consequences of the fighters. French soldiers have recalled acts of inhumanity perpetrated by Cameroonian government soldiers that France supported. Soldiers recall Cameroonians being killed if they were a soldier and sometimes if they were just accused of it. Men suspected of supporting or being in the UPC were massacred. Women specifically were left alive but were tortured in uniquely disgusting ways. A former French pilot states that women had their breasts removed or were disemboweled after being sexually assaulted. The French government both supported and turned a blind eye to any of these atrocities. They advocated them as spoils of war because that's what the soldiers deserved in their eyes. France saw any potential threat as a real threat and ordered the destruction of small villages. This was achieved without much large resistance because it was done secretly, like a top-secret special ops mission would be conducted. France funded, armed, trained, and supported the soldiers that committed these disgusting individual acts of torture and the ones that raised villages to the ground, all in the name of quelling the UPC rebellion. And this was done so quietly, which shows how guilty France is, that people in France didn't know this war was happening, and it wasn't until the last few years that books about this conflict came out that people are actually starting to learn what their nasty-ass government did. So considering all this, it's just another act in the long list of disgusting things that France did to this continent during its time in power here. And it's just, there's no words to describe some of this. It just makes me so disgusted. I remember being furious typing this up, and it's just, it's very frustrating. Nonetheless, I, you know, this was the history. So after this, there is the heavy move for independence, because why would anyone in their right mind want to remain under a government that treats its people in such a way? Independence came for Cameroon on January 1st, 1960, alongside 16 other African nations in what is known as the Year of Africa. The British Cameroon regions were given a referendum on status in 1961, and British Cameroon had a lot of things to say about independence. Culturally and systematically, Nigerian was British Northern Cameroon, so it chose to get independence as part of Nigeria rather than Cameroon. Southern British Cameroon joined Cameroon for independence, but really wasn't happy about it. Leaders of the region agreed to a non-centralized federation with Cameroon so that there was a clear and legal distinction between Cameroon and its English region. The region adopted the name Ambazonia, which is named for the Ambas Bay that is used as the borders between itself, its northern counterpart, and Cameroon. Nonetheless, the Federation of Cameroon was created with French and English as its official languages. Cameroon was envisioned as a bicultural and bilingual nation. However, over time, some English-speaking Cameroons felt marginalized in various aspects, including education, employment, and mostly in representation within the government. Amado Adhijo became the first president upon independence. He wanted to keep ties with France and move the economy to a successful capitalist system, but his ties with France did make him controversial to some who wanted to cut themselves off from this power. Ahijo implemented economic policies that focused on state-led development and planning. The government played a central role in the economy, promoting agriculture, infrastructure development, and industrialization. However, these policies also led to a concentration of power and resources. Ahijo also continued to concentrate power when he established a one-party state under the Cameroonian National Union. The move aimed at consolidating political power and maintaining stability. The opposition was effectively suppressed, and Ahijo's rule became increasingly authoritarian. Ahijo initiated social programs in education and healthcare, expanding access to primary education and healthcare services. In 1982, Ahijo surprised many by resigning from the presidency, citing that health reasons were why he was being pushed out. 
Paul Bia, who was his prime minister beforehand, was named his successor. Ahijo remained significantly influential behind the scenes until a falling out with Bia led to his exile in France. In 1982, Paul Bia became president, and he has held power for all 41 years since then. Paul continued the one-party rule under the Cameroonian National Union. He faced a coup attempt in 1984, which he successfully quelled by using brutal military force and commuting human rights violations on the protesters slash rebels. This further solidified his control and was the first step in him becoming a walking piece of garbage. Amid domestic and international pressure, Bia introduced political reforms in the early 1990s, including the reintroduction of a multi-party system. However, the political landscape remained dominated by the CNU. The Central National Union. Bria continued to win elections with a significant margin, and now it was starting to seem much more suspicious. Bia enacted a, and here's why. And surprisingly enough, these suspicions were very well founded because Bia enacted a political patronage system that uses government controlled resources like food and monetary aid to bribe people into voting for him. He uses this on political parties that are not as financially successful to literally starve them or make them completely impoverished unless they hope to vote for him. That's how this cockroach has held on the power for so long and won consistent elections for 41 years. Paul Bia holds power without many actual experiences. He does all his disgusting snake behavior for only the public to see him a few times a year. He comes out for celebrations and other, and other things that make him such a great leader of this nation. At 90 years old, Bia is the oldest living head of state in the world. His actions have made Cameroon one of the most corrupt nations in the world. On top of that, the poverty rates are extremely high, and the country faces international terrorism all the time. So, clearly Bia has done a fantastic job as president, and there's a reason he's held power for so long. But when we get back to reality, it becomes very clear just how corrupt this man is, how evil many of the things he's done is, and how he just refuses to hold any real elections, how he refuses to entertain the idea of giving up power. But hopefully at 90 years old, he croaks soon enough, and we don't have to deal with him anymore. Because as we know from literally anywhere in the world that old men running a nation is the worst thing happening, because as an American right now, my choices for the next presidential election are an ancient pedophile who doesn't know how to speak English, and an orange racist. So, you know, both of these men being over 70 years old, having disgusting history and being shitheads, I can definitely understand where Cameroon comes from when they're upset that this dickhead is still their leader. And now to get into some more recent issues that the nation has faced, one of them is Boko Haram. And surprisingly enough, it somehow gets worse for Cameroon because of the presence of these people. Boko Haram is an Al-Qaeda-affiliated group of cockroaches that terrorized Cameroon and nations of the Sahel, like Mali and Burkina Faso, for a good part of the 2000s. In 2015, Cameroon fought alongside other nations to defeat this disgusting organization. Cameroon pushed these cockroaches back into their little hiding holes and was accused of actually committing human rights abuses on the members of this group. Now, this is bad because this was actually part of their greater tactic to find who was in these terrorist groups and this did lead to some actual torture of people who weren't in it and were more accused of being in Boko Haram but for the few terrorists that actually got tortured I say you couldn't have done any more but for the few terrorists that were tortured this did lead to some eventual discovery of Boko Haram's plans and this was part of the reason that they were actually able to defeat them and push them out but Boko Haram is still at large in different parts of the Sahel region and around Cameroon but hopefully that Cameroon but hopefully Cameroon and the other nations in the region are able to put bullets in their heads and wipe these cockroaches off the map once and for all. And now we have to jump to the Anglophone crisis. This is the issue between the former British speaking, the former British colony that is 
the English-speaking part of Cameroon today that reluctantly decided to join Cameroon as an independent nation. So the issues here escalated in 2016 when lawyers and teachers in the Anglophone regions began protesting against the imposition of France, of French legal and educational systems. These peaceful protests evolved into broader demands for political reform and recognition of the Anglophone cultural and linguistic heritage. And it's because of these protests that the term Ambazonia really starts to get traction as these people now see themselves as an independent nation from French Cameroon. Now, the Cameroon government implemented internet shutdowns in the Ambazonian regions as an attempt to control the flow of information and communication among protesters. So, there's one abuse of rights. The Cameroon government under President Paul Bia, responded with a security crackdown on protests. Security forces were accused of using excessive force, leading to casualties and arrests. The situation escalated into an armed conflict between the separatist groups and the government. The main one is the Ambazonian Defense Forces, or ADF. They clashed with the Cameroon government on many occasions, and the conflict led to displacement, loss of thousands of lives, and a current humanitarian crisis. In 2007, the Ambazonians rebelled against Greater Cameroon and declared independence. They said it was because they were heavily underrepresented, citing the fact that only one of the 36 ministers of Cameroon was an English-speaking Ambazonian. The Cameroon government reacted without hesitation and sent a large convoy to invade Ambazonia. There was thousands of deaths caused because of this, some of them women, some of them children, many of them soldiers, many of them men just accused of being soldiers, and all for the name of the suppression of Ambazonia. Today the cries for an independent Ambazonia are louder than they've ever been, but the odds that it actually happens seems low because Cameroon is just beating the hell out of the people here because of Paul Bia being in power and refusing to give up an inch. But we're going to break all my anger down. We're going to take a break from this history. We're going to take a break from all the political stuff to talk about a very incredible Cameroonian. Francis Ngannou. He is a Cameroonian born, and that is Francis Ngannou. Ngannou is a Cameroonian born mixed martial artist and professional boxer. His story is a legendary tale that encapsulates the grit of Cameroon. Francis Ngannou grew up in extreme poverty in the nation. By age 10, he was working grueling, back-breaking hours in the sand mines of the nation, of Cameroon. He would do this job into his early adulthood where he would make his first of many attempts to escape Cameroon. He walked all the way from his home to Morocco in an attempt to escape Europe as a refugee and start a new life. He made this attempt six times, and each of his times when he was caught, he was captured and then dropped off in the Sahara Desert without hope to survive. He then survived the treacherous journey back to Morocco from the Sahara each of these six times, and it was on his seventh attempt to find a way into Europe that he finally succeeded. He started doing blue-collar work in France and then started to go into boxing gyms. He was homeless for a time, but still continued to go to the boxing gym nonetheless. Once he was there, many people took note of his extraordinary stature. He stands at six foot five and a natural 260 of lean muscle. They suggested that he start training mixed martial arts because of his body and the fact that he would be very successful had he been able to master different movements that went beyond the fists. Ngannou became a knockout artist. He had some amateur fights, then some low-level pro fights, and eventually he got into the UFC. Once he got to the UFC, or the Ultimate Fighting Championship, he started to knock out former legends like Andrei Arlovsky and more. Within just four years of his start to training MMA as an immigrant in France, he became the UFC World Heavyweight Champion by knocking out the consensus greatest UFC heavy fighter of all time, Croatian-born American Stipe Miocic. 
Ngannou defended his title once, and it is hard to say that he would have ever lost any of his future defenses had he not left the UFC. Francis ran into contractual agreements with the owners of the UFC because they didn't want to pay him his worth, which is a huge issue in mixed martial arts, despite the fact that Ngannou viewed himself as one of the most valuable fighters on the planet, and he wanted to be paid as such. So, Francis Ngannou ended up making the transition to boxing, which was his original plan back in France. Once he started to train boxing, he accepted a fight with Tyson Fury, the consensus best heavyweight actively fighting in professional boxing. In late 2023, the fight between these two giants occurred, and after a grueling 12-round fight that almost every single professional boxer agrees Francis Ngannou won, mainly because of the fact that he got a clean knockdown on one of the best fighters alive, he still lost in a controversial decision to Fury, a split decision on top of it where one of the judges saw him as the winner. Despite the loss for Francis, he still has supporters around the globe and is at the absolute top of the boxing market. He is also now a ranked boxer. The UFC, the UFC absolutely fumbled someone who could have been one of the greatest stars of all time. Francis is going to dominate the boxing industry for years, and he is going to make endless amounts of money while doing it. He deserves every ounce of success that has come his way and deserves every ounce of success that will continue to pour into his life. He is an absolute beast. And the best part is, he's a fucking great human. Listen to him on conversations with Mike Tyson and other guys. There is not a violent bone in his body. He just knows that he's damn good at fighting and he's going to make a lot of money doing it. So I hope he knocks out anybody who gets in the ring with him. And this isn't even some historic stuff. And this isn't even just me being a history nerd and liking where he's from or whatever. It's literally the fact that I watched him get introduced as the Predator when he fought one of his early UFC fights when he had the coolest fucking dreads I'd ever seen. And he knocked people's fucking teeth back. He is so sick. And I, despite the fact that Tyson Fury is one of my favorite heavyweight fighters, that fight left a really bad taste in my mouth because Francis really did win that fight. It's just the fact that, as always, boxing has some weird script to it I, that's an exaggeration but every time I watch big boxing fights there's always a draw or something lame where in the UFC people get knocked out so Francis would have dominated the UFC for a long time to come but he proved he's a dominant champion he's scary looking as hell in the ring but then he gets out of it and he's a badass person so truly I hope he just dominates I know I got a little sidetracked there but he, he's a beast Francis is a beast he's an incredible person everyone who's ever met him respects him and he also has the highest and he also has the hardest recorded punch in human history because, of course, we weren't able to measure with the level of technology we have punches like Prime Tyson and, of course, ancient fighters like Achilles. But he currently has the hardest punch ever recorded, shattering records by every metric. And it's considered that minus the mass force and things like that, he hits as hard as a Ford Fusion going 60 miles per hour. This guy is a unit. He's so cool. I adore Francis Ngannou, I adore his story, and I hope he just crushes it. But now to jump back to the reason I brought him up, which is Cameroon. In the present tense, the nation is plagued with conflict, corruption, and poverty rates that hang over 50% of all the citizens. President Bia tries to avoid attention as much as possible and works in the shadows to hold power until his death. At 90 years old, this fossil is keeping Cameroon behind on advancements across the board. Rights are behind. Technology is behind. Everything about Cameroon is behind because of this old head that refuses to give up power in the nation. But nonetheless, Cameroonians are resilient, proud people that hope to break the standard of struggle that has gripped their nation ever since independence. And with that, that gets us to the end, where I always have to do a takeaway or a mindset to pull from the history. And with Cameroon, that's going to be have grit. This is going to be one of my more aggressive ones, just simply for the fact that 
someone as sick as Francis Ngannou was born here. And on top of the fact that the people of this country have suffered a brutal history because of the nasty colonial French and because of many other things. Thinking about the conflicts this nation has been in with early things like the Fulani Jihad, modern things like disgusting Boko Haram, medium distance ago in history things like France and the wars be- and the conflicts between rebels that were abused and women who had their breasts cut off, all the nasty things this nation has dealt with, conflicts with the Amazonians, Amazonians in Cameroon resisting the clashes that have come and the abuses that have come from the government, all sorts of things, the high poverty, all this. It just represents that the people of Cameroon are gritty. Also bounced back to Francis Ngannou, literally practically born into slavery and is born into working in sand mines and then eventually tries to fight out of this nation and refuses to give up. Do you know how much grit it takes to literally survive walking in the Sahara six times over to try and get to Morocco and try and get out of this greater nation and continent you've been struggling in so much? And now that dude is a former world champion at the highest level of what I consider the hardest sport to participate in. So... Take all that and consider this. These people have gritted their teeth and pushed through so many nasty things. The nasty human rights abuses by the French. Individuals like Francis have crushed it in their own history. And everything about Cameroon is described and defined by the fact that these people have continued to push through and are trying so hard to get out of this Paul Bia rock they're under and all, everything. With all that in mind, consider this. You need to be gritty too. I pray to whatever is up there. I pray to my God. I hope that your God is on the same side. Whatever it is, I hope that you do not have to go through any of this. I hope you do not ever have to be on the tier that Francis Ngannou has been and many of the Cameroonians have been, especially the women. It's just so many abuses, so many things, but nonetheless, you still have to have grit. You are going to have to grit your teeth through many things. Sometimes it will be a tough day at work. Sometimes it will be the part of relationships. It'll be this and that. You're going to have to push hard. I say embody it, push that grit forward because there's going to be a point where if you are doing something great like chasing your dream, there's going to be a downtrodden part, a part where you're not getting views, a part where you're not getting booked, a part where you're not making the difference you want to or the money you want to and you're going to have to grit through it. You have to grit your teeth through it and push forward. You have to show grit. I'm just going to say that and leave it at that. Have grit in everything you do because it's literally going to help you Get to the thing you want to get to, whatever that is, relationship, kids, success, dreams, marriage, anything. Because if you are gritty and push forward through all of it, which is to me what grit is, then it's nothing's going to stop you. It doesn't matter how hard things get, you're going to continue to push through. And that is something that Cameroonians and specifically my OG Francis Ngannou and the women of Cameroon have pushed through for literally hundreds of years and for decades since independence. So I hope you're able to take that in and you're able to do that fully with your heart, with your mind, and with everything in you. And with that, I'm going to leave. I'm so glad I got to do this country. I'm glad we're done with it, though, because it's making me infuriated to continue to study histories of former French colonies. And of course, listen, dude, I'm an American. I'm not going to sit here and act like my country hasn't done horrible things. I promise you, when we get to that United States episode, I am going to go so deep on all the nasty things my country's done. I'm going to try my best to find all of them. And I promise you there will be something that my government isn't going to let me know about. So I will try my best. And the reason I'm taking a dump on France so hard is because I'm so sick of reading about all these genocides and abuses and people being killed in this. Okay, so thank you for listening to my rant. I promise you I will do this equally across the board for Britain and for Spain and for Russia and for the United States and for all of them because this is a 
neutral history show where unless someone is being absolutely disgusting, I will tell the truth as it is. And then once they do something disgusting, I will shit on them like they deserve to be. So with all that, I'm done. Thank you for listening to my rant. Thank you for listening to this episode. <laughs> thank you for putting up with me getting so amped up. And thank you for listening to me talk about Francis Ngannou, who's one of the coolest fighters in the world. So I'm very glad you guys are here. I'm sorry for so many so's. And I'm sorry I got a little unhinged there, but I'm very passionate about history, as you can see. So with all that being said, I'm going to say for the last time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Cameroon. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope you have a good one.